Our Father in heaven, help us now as we seek to think about, think over this remarkable word, this remarkable report of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that this time would not just be a time where we are sitting and listening, but Father, this would be a time of gospel work done in our hearts, that your spirit would come and you would work. You would help us, Lord, to continue to be sanctified, transformed, according to your word, to be more and more like your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. In the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis, the book which teaches us about the beginnings of all things, the beginning of the world, the beginnings of all people, and the beginnings of the story of redemption. We have the first human death, as well as the first murder in that fourth chapter. Cain kills and buries his brother Abel. Then in the very next chapter, chapter 5 of Genesis, Moses provides us with a genealogy of the descendants of Adam through his son Seth. And uh, if you read the whole thing through, that's Genesis chapter 5, especially if you read it out loud, you'll pick up on a common refrain that is meant to highlight a reality that, that we all take for granted. I encourage you to just turn in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 5, take a look at this. I'm not going to read the whole thing through, but just take a look at this. Genesis 5. And at the end of each paragraph there of Genesis chapter 5, you see this, this common refrain. And he died. So each paragraph kind of goes, when so-and-so lived so many years, he fathered so-and-so, and, and then he lived so many more years after that, and he died. For everyone with just one exception, it's the same re refrain. He lived and he died. He lived and he died. He lived and he died. And, and what Moses, the writer there, is emphasizing for us is the curse of sin that has come upon the world. The curse of sin that is upon all men. For as Romans 5 tells us, for just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So life hasn't changed much for us since Genesis chapter 5. We still live for a certain number of years. People are born, people bear children, and people die. And people die. And we die. One of my earliest memories of being in a cemetery, I'm not sure how old I was, um, maybe five or six years old, my, my, my family was in the cemetery just outside of my hometown of Albert City, Iowa. It was probably on Memorial Day, and my mom led me and my two sisters over to a small gravestone on the eastern side of the cemetery. 
And she said it was where my cousin, Jeremy, was buried. My mom said he was born a year after, or I'm sorry, a year before I was, uh, but had died just a few days after he was born. He was the first child of my mom's brother, and I realized that if he wouldn't have died, I would have had another boy to play with on my mom's side of the family. For at the time, I was the only boy on my mom's side of the family. It was me and five girls. So I was thinking about that. I looked up and I saw my mom shed a tear. And then she told us that, that one day we'd get to meet him. One day we'd get to meet him. One day I would get to know him, she said, because of Jesus. So we're all gathered together here today primarily because of the passage that we just read in Matthew 28. There is such a thing as Easter Sunday. There is such a thing as a worship service. There is such a thing as a Christian church. And there is such a thing as hope because Jesus Christ lived, he died, and rose again from the grave. The Son of God humbled himself and truly experienced what every human has experienced in life, being born, living his allotted number of years on the earth, and then he died and was buried, not because of any sin he had committed, for the Bible assures us he was without sin. No, he suffered death for the sins of all of his people. But he has done something which no other man yet has done. He rose again from the grave, never to die again. He passed through the grave, never to enter it again. And this is incredibly good news for a world which has the curse of death hanging over us. We all anticipate the grave but only those who have the life of Christ within them also anticipate the resurrection. So this is good news, my friends. As we focus on this chapter, chapter 28 of Matthew, the news that Jesus Christ rose from the dead is news that we desperately need to hear and share. That's, that's this main theme here that we see here from this chapter. The news that Jesus Christ rose from the dead is news that we desperately need to hear and share. So we're going to work through this passage here one section at a time and see how it reveals this theme to us. All right, first, verses 1 through 10, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and the first witnesses were commanded to proclaim the good news. That's what we see here, verses 1 through 10, with the women going to Jesus Tomb. It had been a very long Sabbath day for these women. Uh, just a few days earlier, they had celebrated Passover. And then they woke up Friday morning to hear that their beloved friend and teacher, Jesus, had been arrested. And then things happened so shockingly quickly for them, for in just a matter of a couple hours, he was nailed to a cross and left to die by the Romans. They had witnessed the terrible crucifixion of the Lord. 
they saw where they had laid his body in the tomb. But then it was the Sabbath day, and they couldn't walk to the grave and visit him on the Sabbath day. But finally, here it is, Sunday morning, the day after Sabbath. So they hurried to the tomb at the first light of day in order to care for the body of their beloved Lord, fully expecting, as they go to the tomb, to find his body still in there. But of course, they were in for a surprise. The action here starts in verse 2. There is this earthquake, which Matthew tells us was caused by the angel of the Lord who descended from heaven. Look at verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake for, it says, that's the cause, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. So he rolled back the stone, possibly by means of the earthquake, and he sat on top of it, and this rolling away of the stone was was not to let Jesus out of the tomb. It was in order to let others into the tomb so they could see that it was empty. And the angel, it says, reflected the glory of heaven. It says his appearance was like lightning, not unlike the appearance of Christ when he was transfigured before the three disciples on the mountain. The guards saw the angel and trembled, and then they were frozen with fear. That's what it means to, be, to become as dead men. They're frozen with fear. They were made impotent. All strength left them, and they were unable to do anything about what was transpiring before them. Now, remember, they were placed. They were placed there in front of the tomb in order to make sure Jesus' disciples wouldn't try any funny business, you know, to come and steal the body of Jesus from the tomb. Well, his disciples were staying far, far away from the tomb because they were so afraid of being crucified like Jesus was. But here are these women. These women come to the tomb, and the guards can't even stop them from entering the tomb to see that it was now vacant. The angel does not assure the guards to not be afraid, but he does for the women. They are the honored guests here at the tomb. They were expected. This is all for them. He announces that Jesus is risen from the dead and is no longer in the tomb. Then he encourages them to take a look for themselves so that they would be truly witnesses to the empty tomb, and then he gives them a command. They are to go and tell. Go and tell. Do this quickly. They are to share the good news of the resurrection with the disciples. So they go quickly. They do exactly as they were commanded, but there was still another surprise in store for them. For the risen Christ himself, Jesus, greets them. They saw him, they touched him, they worshipped him. Now they had not only witnessed the empty tomb, they were not only witnesses of the angel who appeared before them to tell them Christ was risen, but now, here it is, they had seen him with their own eyes. They had touched him with their own hands. They had heard his voice. This was something that they would never forget. This completely transformed this incredibly depressing weekend they were having. 
Jesus was alive. This was news they would not be able to keep to themselves. The Lord Jesus then commands them. He gives them a similar command. Go and tell. Go and tell. This is the second time that they received this command. They must go and tell. They were commissioned to be the first messengers of the gospel to the disciples. They get to have the same privilege that the angel had for them. The disciples will hear the good news of Christ's resurrection from these women first. And Jesus tells them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Go and tell. Tell them they will see me. Have you ever been the first one to share the good news of something that is remarkably wonderful that's happened? Maybe to your spouse, maybe to your friends or family. I remember when my daughter Esther was born. Esther was born 14 years ago this April. 14 years ago this April. And we went to the hospital at about 2 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Yes, a Sunday morning. But don't worry, I did have somebody lined up to preach for me just in case. It, it happened on Sunday morning. Greta was still in labor when the sun came up, and so I let a couple of my key leaders at the church know what was happening and why I wouldn't be coming to church that morning. But we didn't tell our parents. We didn't tell our parents what was going on. We wanted to surprise them with the good news of our baby's arrival. And we didn't want the added pressure of grandparents anxiously waiting for the news. So it took a little longer than we were expecting that day for things to progress and happen. But later in the day, still on that Sunday, Esther was born. And I got to call my parents and my in-laws to share the good news. I felt a little like these women must have felt when they excitedly brought the news of seeing Jesus alive to the rest of the disciples, especially with the disciples huddling in fear and in despair over what had just taken place. What an amazing privilege and how excited these women must have been to do this. And then later, Jesus gives a similar command to the church as a whole, to not be afraid. Don't be afraid, but, but go and tell the good news that he is risen, that his death was sufficient to save sinners, and that God has justified him and all who put their faith in him by raising him from the dead. It is incredibly good news but, as we see next, not everyone will think that the news is good. So we see in the next passage here, 11 through 15, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and this good news has been doubted and denied by cultural leaders from the very beginning. Let's just read over those verses again. Verse 11. While they were, they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. 
So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So here we have a different group of witnesses who are rushing into town in order to share the news of the empty tomb with a certain group of people who, unlike the disciples, will not receive this news with thanksgiving. In fact, this news would confirm their fears. These are the people who had condemned Jesus as a fraud. If you were here on Friday night for the Good Friday service, you you heard the scripture readings uh, describing Jesus on the cross. You heard Matthew emphasize in those passages how these men, these chief priests and elders, how they mocked Jesus. They did their best to shame Jesus. Jesus on the cross. And now they hear that there has been this earthquake. There was an angel from heaven at the tomb, and the tomb is now empty. And word was getting out that Jesus had risen from the dead. So the chief priests and elders give a commission here to the guards, they give their own commission. They command them to be their evangelists. Just like the women in verse 7 and 10, the guards are now commanded to go and tell. Go and tell. Go out there and tell the people a different message. While the women and the disciples will be sharing the message of good news about the truth of Christ's resurrection, the guards here will be spreading a message of denial and deception that they were actually all sleeping. They're all sleeping while they were on guard duty, mind you. They were sleeping, and they were sound asleep, actually. While they were so sound asleep, these frightened disciples, who had been hiding since Jesus was arrested, they came to the tomb, they removed the stone, and they stole the body out of the tomb, right from under their noses, all the while, while they remained asleep. Yeah, that's our story. Yeah, that's how it happened. That's really what happened, yeah. So remember what these chief priests and leaders had said sarcastically to Jesus while he was on the cross. Just look in your Bibles back to chapter 27, verses 41 through 42. Look back there. Here's what the chief priests and leaders had said to Jesus while he's on the cross. So also, the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross. And we will believe in him. The Lord Jesus had often accused these leaders of being hypocrites. And here they themselves prove that that accusation was quite accurate. Does the news of the empty tomb humble them? Does this report of the angel appearing before the guards lead these leaders to want to know Jesus? 
Does it, does it bring about repentance in their hearts? Begging God for mercy and forgiveness. They said they believe in him if he came, if he came down from the cross. Well, he's risen from the dead. Will you believe in him now? No. No. Instead, this news hardens them even more. It leads them to launch a conspiracy with these guards in order to cover up the truth and to spread a lie. They are the ones who are willingly and deliberately leading their people astray after accusing Jesus of that very sin earlier. They pay off the guards, says a sufficient sum of money to keep the guards quiet from the real story and to pay them then to tell this other story. And they promise the guards, look, don't worry about Pilate. We'll, we'll satisfy him as well. well. We'll pay him as well if he hears about this and wants to hold you responsible for your incredible dereliction of duty. This shows us that these men, these religious leaders, other people, were completely engulfed in the ways and wisdom of the world, not the wisdom from heaven. They had no fear of God, which of course is the heart of foolishness. These were the leaders of the people of Israel. These were the ones the nation looked up to for guidance, for direction, especially in regards to spiritual matters, and they were blatantly misleading the people. And this is a clear lesson for all of us today. We need to be careful about putting our trust in those whom the world looks to as cultural leaders, even leaders which the world looks to for spiritual wisdom. In our own American culture today, who do the majority of people look to for wisdom? Who are the voices that our nation listens to? It's mainly those who far more readily believe and promote the same story of the empty tomb that these guards were paid to propagate and put into the world. Those in the White House, those in the news media, those in the Capitol building, the leaders of the big tech companies like Facebook and Twitter, movie makers in Hollywood, and most of the leading voices on podcasts and YouTube all deny the resurrection and claim that anyone who believes that Jesus is alive and will one day return to judge the living and the dead is stupid, offensive, and dangerous. They are finding new and creative ways of spreading this lie that the high priest paid the guards here to go and tell to others. And the Holy Spirit wants us to know that. He wants us to know that. That's why it's included here. Verse 15, so they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. We are to be aware there was great opposition against the gospel then, as there is and will continue to be in our own day. But lastly, the last section here, 16 through 20, 
We see Jesus rose from the dead and has authorized and empowered his people to go and make disciples of all peoples of the earth. So here we have the most well-known of the go-and-tell commands we see in relationship to the resurrection. This is also known as uh, the Great Commission, of course. Uh, The Lord Jesus commands the disciples, the church at that time, to go and make disciples, to go and tell the good news that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, to, to teach the disciples to obey all of his commands. This was the great mission of the church then, and it is still the same for us today. We are to go and call the world to believe and follow Jesus. And verse 16 shows us the women did fulfill their calling by Jesus. They went and they did tell the disciples that Jesus rose again from the dead and and then to go to Galilee in order to meet with him. So they went. The 11 disciples responded like the women did here the first time they saw Jesus risen. Verse 17 says, they worshiped him. They worshiped him. And friends, this is one mark of a genuine disciple of Jesus, a mark of a true Christian. Christians worship Jesus. They worship him. It doesn't just mean that they sing songs praising Jesus every once in a while. Uh, To worship means much more than that. Disciples honor Jesus. They make much of Jesus. They humble themselves before Jesus. They say by their words and their actions, don't look at me, look at him. He must increase, I must decrease. He is Lord, he is God Almighty, he is the one who saves. Disciples seek to glorify Jesus in all that they do and say. Disciples listen to Jesus and trust and obey what Jesus says. They love him. And that's what it means to worship Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. So, my friend, are you a disciple of Jesus? Now, you you might be saying in your heart, look, well, pastor, I mean, come on. I am a Christian. I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus. But, I mean, not everyone who believes in Jesus has to, you know, go all the way and be a, a disciple. I mean, isn't that taking it a little too far? Isn't that a little, a little extreme? I, I believe in Jesus. I go to church. Isn't that enough? And so, friends, I just want you to look here again at what Jesus tells the disciples. He doesn't call them to just go and make believers. He doesn't commission them to go and make Um, churchgoers. The Lord Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So is that what you have become? Is that what you have been, been made into being? one who worships Jesus, one who honors Jesus and takes his commands seriously, like this one, to go and make other disciples 
and teach them all that the Lord has commanded. That's what a disciple is. That is what disciples do. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Now, being a disciple doesn't mean that you've got it all figured out. It doesn't mean you know, you're this shining example of righteousness. I mean, look again at verse 17 here. Matthew uh, is honest with us about the disciples. It says they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some were still not quite sure what to think about what was happening right in front of them. They didn't have everything figured out. These folks were, were, were a lot like you and me. They, they weren't just naturally gifted people in speaking or teaching. They, they weren't like all you know, these outgoing, you know, type A personalities that can go out and just share the gospel with anyone on the street. They needed a lot of help. In fact, that's another characteristic of being a true disciple. Did you know that? Someone who needs a lot of help. Disciples know they need help. They know that they are weak. They know that they can do nothing on their own without Jesus. And so Jesus assures them here. He assures them first that they will be ministering under his sovereign authority. He had chosen them for this work. And he promised them that he would be with them. He'd be with them to help them, to strengthen them, to care for them. They would never be, be without him, he says. And oh, how we need this promise, brothers and sisters, how we need this word from Jesus. For when we screw up, when we sin, we are assured Jesus won't leave us. He won't cast us off. He says, I am with you always, literally all the days to the end of the age. As I was meditating on this and thinking, thinking through this and reading uh, some other great pastors and scholars who have uh, studied and preached this passage, I was so encouraged, so encouraged. And I read this quote from J.C. Ryle. He said this, let all true Christians lay hold of these words and keep them in mind. Speaking about Jesus' promise that I will be with you always. Let all true Christians lay hold of these words and keep them in mind. Christ is with us always. He is with us daily to pardon and forgive, with us daily to sanctify and strengthen, with us daily to defend and keep, with us daily to lead and to guide, with us in sorrow and with us in joy, with us in sickness and with us in health, with us in life and with us in death with us in time and with us in eternity. What stronger consolation could believers desire than this? Yet, my friends, I need to tell you that this wonderful promise is only for disciples. It's only for those who have come to trust in Jesus and in his saving work on the cross and are truly following him. If you are not following Jesus, if he is not the one in whom you are trusting alone for your salvation, then Jesus is not with you.
He is not with you now, and he won't be with you in death. And most critically, he won't be with you when you face God in judgment. That is when you will need him the most. It was, in fact, for that moment that he came and lived for you and died for you and rose again for you so that you wouldn't have to face God Almighty alone, covered in your sin and your guilt. On that day, there will be no good deed or even good life that you may have had that you could point to in order to escape condemnation. You need Christ with you. You need Christ for that day. You see, when you repent of your sin and unbelief, and, and, and when you admit you desperately need Christ to save you, then on that day, you will no longer be covered with your sin and guilt. Instead, you'll be covered with Christ's righteousness. If you take hold of Christ Jesus by faith as your Savior, then on that day, when you are judged, you can point to his righteous deeds, to, to his good and fully righteous life that he lived, and you will escape condemnation. You will then not be alone on that day, but you will be in Christ and you'll be received by God the Father as he received his faithful son. Here are some more words from J.C. Ryle again as we close. He says, Christ bears the keys. To him we must go for admission into heaven. He is the door. Through him we must enter. He is the shepherd. We must hear his voice and follow him. If we would not perish in the wilderness... He is the physician we must apply to him if we would be healed of the plague of sin. He is the bread of life we must feed on him if we would have our souls satisfied. He is the light we must walk after him if we would not wander in darkness. He is the fountain we must wash in his blood if we would be cleansed and made ready for the great day when we will have to give account for our lives before God. So friends, this world is still covered by the dark shadow of death and it desperately needs this Savior. May we go and tell them how great of a Savior Jesus is. Let's pray. Our Father, as we have thought about the news, the good news that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Lord, we know, we know that we are far, far unworthy to be people who carry such glorious news to others. We, we know our sin. We know our weakness. And so, Lord, we cry out to you for help. We want to see Others come to know Jesus like we have. We want to see people be freed from bondage to sin and death. We want to see them walk and live in the hope of eternal life in Christ. So Father, we pray that you would help us. Help us to believe this good news. 
and to share this good news. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.